Hi, right, good morning. Welcome to everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. Real quick, uh, if you didn't see it on the way in, Sarah Penny uh, is at our Connection Center. She is our new middle school uh, youth leader here at Life Church. And so if you have a middle schooler uh, or if you want to help in middle school ministry, uh, see Sarah when you walk out and she'll fill you in on everything that's going on. There's going to be a parent meeting coming up she'll be talking about and kind of giving you an idea of what middle school ministry is going to look like on a Sunday morning and on Wednesday nights coming up. So if you have a middle schooler, get them involved. It's going to be some new stuff and some cool things happening. So uh, talk with her. And then if you want to volunteer, you want to help in middle school youth ministry, she'll help you get connected. If you're watching online uh, and you're not here with us, you can sign up on the app. So if you have kids that you want to get involved, you want Sarah to get a hold of you, you can go on the app and she and sign in there and she'll get with you and or if you want to be able to volunteer. So if you're online with us, use the app, get signed up and she'll get connected with you. But a lot of cool things happening in middle school youth ministry. All right, so let's get back to the Revelation series. So let's talk about where we were what we talked about last week uh, and where we're going to go today. So if you're joining us online for the first time or maybe you're here uh, for the first time with us or you've been in and out, I'll just catch you up real quick. This is week 20 um, of our Revelation series. We've spent most of the time in the book of Revelations going chapter by chapter um, and trying to understand what it is that the book of Revelation can teach us. One of the backdrops that we have used for uh, Revelation is don't get caught up in understanding all the imagery and everything that goes with it, but more understand what is it that we can take away and what can we do with it. So as we look into the future in the book of Revelations, how does it affect our present, right? So we've been going through that. We took a break last week in the actual book, but still on the idea of Revelations, because we had to answer the burning question. So since we started the book of Revelation, the question has came up over and over again, based upon what you know, and based upon what's going on in the world, and based upon what's happening in government, and based upon what's happening with our economic system, are we living in the last days? Isn't that what anybody, everybody wants to know? right? Is it getting closer? How close is it? You know what the funny thing about that is? A lot of times when people are asking the question, they're asking the question because they're, you know, they're like, well, you know that person I haven't talked to yet, and it's closer than ever. I better get on the horse. I better do something about it. Now, we should always live with a sense of urgency because you might die tomorrow. I mean, you might die now, but you should live with this sense of urgency all of the time. But it seems like as human beings, we get to this place where if somebody tells us in two weeks from now, your life's going to end, you probably change what you do today. I mean, that's somewhat unfortunate, but it's a reality of the way that we live. So people ask the question, are we living in the last days? Because what you want to know is, do I need to change anything? Do I need to change the way I live, the way I spend my time, the things that I do? And so we went back and said, so let's look at what Scripture says. What does Scripture say when it talks about last days, right? So anytime that in the Scripture it's meant or talked about when it's last days, when is it talking about it, and what does it say, and then what can we learn? So here's what we learned last week, right? Here's what we know last week. Last days determined in Scripture is from first coming of Jesus to the second coming of Jesus, right? That's last days. So anytime it's talked about in Scripture, from the time that Jesus came to the time that he's coming back, so are we living in the last days? Yes, right? Yes, we are living in the last days. Now, again, you know, I know everybody wants to try to pin it down and everybody wants to try to get it figured out uh, to change maybe the way that you live. But we would say as a church, and we've said this a lot, you know, in the 18 years that we've been here is live as if today is your last day, right? Because you never know that it might not be. Now, one of the things that I've always done with people when I do life coaching uh, for the guys that I do it with is... I always tell them, well, think about this, because you really don't know. Like, and I've experienced a lot of death in my own life of people that were really, really young, and things were going perfectly fine, and the next day you know, they get a diagnosis, and then they're gone, right? Or you see them one day, and you don't see them the next day. So I understand the fragility of life, right? And so, and I've also been a part of listening to people talk about people who have passed on, Right? What do they say about them? What do they talk about? You know, what are the memories that they share? Um, and so in my life coaching, this is one of the things that I have people do. I have guys sit down, and before we ever start into where we're going to go, I always ask them, why don't you write your epitaph? 
Why don't you write about what you want people to say about you at your funeral? And you know what the funny thing about that is? A lot of times they write what they want people to say, but it's not necessarily what they're going to say. Amen, anybody? Right? Like you want them to say something, but then you look at the actions of your life and they're for sure not going to say it. Right? Like you want all of this, you want, you know, this for them to talk about these things, but if you look at it, this is what they're really going to talk about. And the reason that we do that is, is it's okay to face the truth of what you want them to say, but what they're really going to say, because if what they're really going to say is different than what you want them to say, you better change the way you live your life. Right? I mean, we better change the actions of our life, and we better change the things that we do. Now, Here's the funny thing, too, about what people say after people die, right? Because this is the thing that I want you to think about. There's a lot of times that people will sit down and they'll talk about, like, memories of people. Like, do you remember the time that we went? Do you remember the time that we did? Do you remember the time that we spent together and how much this was fun, right? Like, they'll, they'll share memories of people. But here's the thing that you need to remember. That's all good, right? But what we want said at our funeral is what we want heard from us when we stand in front of Jesus. Does that make sense? What you want to hear at your funeral is somebody get up and say, you know what, we went fishing together, we went hunting together, we went played sports together, we learned an instrument together, we, we went to school together, and at the end of the day, because of the way that you lived your life, you changed mine, and now I'm going to spend eternity with you someday when I get there. That's what you want people to say, Right? Because at the end of the day, if we have all these memories and we do all these things and all of life is fun, but that person never knows Jesus, does it really matter that you were fun? I mean, think about this. I mean, you have all these people sharing, you're the funnest guy and you're great to hang out with. I mean, you made no impact on anybody's eternity, but man, were you a ball, Right? Or, you know, I've thought this about myself. A lot of times I, I think about this because I've told my kids this. I don't want them to get up and say, you are a hard worker. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, seriously? I don't want to hear that. I'm like, well, that's a waste of my life. You know, I want to work hard, but I want to work hard for a reason, right? I want to I work hard with a purpose behind it. I don't just want it to be, well, dad was always out there with calloused hands working his butt off. And... It meant what, right? That's, so for us, we got to be able to think about it because, again, Paul talks about this a lot. Paul talks about running a race. Paul talks about the way that he finished the race. And it's something that you hear at funerals all the time, right? You hear this uh, scripture in 2 Timothy talked about all the time. 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. So it's not going to be the main part of our scripture, but something that I want you to think about, right? Because in this, Paul makes a declaration that I think what is what we want people to say about us, and it's for sure what we want Jesus to say to us. Does that make sense? So we want this, that we want to be able to say the same thing. We want people to say this about us, and we want Jesus to confirm it when we stand in front of him someday. Here's what it says in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. I have fought the good fight heard this before, right? If you've been at a funeral, I fought the good fight. Here's what we want everybody, here's what you should be confident of, and this is what we want everybody to say about us. We engaged in the war, because there is a war going on for the souls of people today. And we want everybody, we want to be able to say, I got in the battle, and I fought for something that mattered at the end. Right? We want to be able to make that declaration, and we want somebody to stand up in our funeral and say, I'm here because you fought for me, right? You fought for me. You went to bat for me. You went to battle for me. And I'm here today because you were engaged in the war, because you did something about it. And we know then when we stand in front of Jesus, we want him to reiterate, yes, you did it. You got in the battle. You did what matters most, right? We want to be able to hear that. But he doesn't just say, I fought the good fight. Here's the other part. And this is a reality check for some of us. He also says, I finished the race. Because you know what we talked about last week? 
you know what scripture makes us pretty aware of, that there are gonna be people, you know what we've learned about in the seven churches, they're gonna be people that are gonna be on fire and drift away. Remember we talked about this? Like that there's gonna be people that, that have a sense or a resemblance of Christianity or religion that they come to church, but really don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and over time they're just gonna drift. This is inside of the church. We talked about this in 2 Peter last week. They're gonna become lovers of self and lovers of money and boastful and proud and arrogant and disrespectful to their parents. Right? All of these things are gonna happen and they're gonna happen because there was this resemblance of religion. They came to church but no relationship with Jesus. And so if there isn't a pursuit of a relationship with Jesus, naturally you will drift away from him. That's just what's gonna happen with people. We know that it's very clear that inside of scripture that it says, why does the road that leads to where? Destruction. How many people are on that road? Lots of them. Why? Because naturally there are people that are gonna wanna start the race that never finish. You know why they don't finish? It's too hard, too difficult. Ask too much of you and cost too much. You know, we're a people of comfort. We're a people of give me the thing of the path of least resistance, put me on that one. As long as I'm okay, I'm good, right? We want that road. The reality of Christianity is never that road. Narrow is the road that leads to life. And how many people are on it? Few. Why? Because few people will give up Accept the cost of being a follower of Jesus Christ. But I want to hear on that last day that they finished well regardless of the circumstances of life. I finished the race. I've always said this about myself. I want to hear on the last days, not like, well, you're kind of, I want to slide in sideways. I want to be running so hard for Jesus Christ and the things that I'm doing on my last days. I want to slide in to eternity sideways, spin in circles you know, whatever it looks like. I want to be running. I want to hear those things. I want to know that up until my last days, people mattered to me. Eternity mattered to me. Relationships mattered to me. I want that to be all of my life till my last days finished. Well, I want to hear those things, and I want to hear them from the Lord at the same time. He says, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. We want to hear those words from the people. We want to be able to proclaim those words. We want to hear from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant. Right? That's what we want to hear. But the reality is, is that for a lot of us, we got to check where we're at if you want to hear those words. Right, like for all of us, we need to take an opportunity to look at our own lives and decide, are we disciples making disciples? Right, like we need to take a hard look at that. Are you a disciple and are you making a disciple? And if we are, what will be the markers? Like what will be some of those things that we can look at? Now, throughout all of scripture, the cool thing about throughout all of scripture, you know, it talks about markers of disciples. I mean, Jesus says, if you want to be a disciple of mine, right? He goes through and puts those things together. We can look at the lives of disciples and we can say, wow, these are the things that they did in their life. But in Revelations, here's what I want you to see. We're going to look at the 144,000. So do you remember the 144,000? So there's the, you know, the tribulation starts, the church is raptured, 144,000 elect are left on this earth, and they're left on this earth for what reason? Preach the gospel, right? That's why they're here. And just a little forerunner, the same reason you're here, right? I mean, you're left here for the same reason the 144,000, it's just their life is gonna be way harder than your life is today. Because they're gonna be in the times of tribulation. They're gonna be suffering through a lot of things that's happening on the earth. But they're here because they are the elect and they're the ones that are chosen to be able to preach the gospel, right? And so in the 144,000, we can learn something from them. What are some of the attributes or what are some of the things that we could take away so that we can, because here's the cool thing about Paul, the 144,000 people, here's what we want. You know, when he says, I fought the fight and I finished the race, you know, now awaiting me is a crown. You know what that tells, this is what we want and this is how we can categorize it. We lived a victorious life. We made it. 
We did it. And because you lived a victorious life, now there's a crown waiting for you. That's what each one of us want. But how do you live to get that? How do you live a victorious life? Because let's be honest, you're living in a world that sometimes feels very defeating. We're living in a world where you get on social media and you look around and you're like, feels kind of defeating. So we want to try to figure out how to live victorious. And so when we look at how to live victorious today, at least, we're going to look at the 144,000. What did they do and how were they operating at that time so that we then can learn from that? So this is in Revelation um, 14. So yeah, Revelations 14, one through five. But before you get there, I'm going to read to you Psalms 91. So Psalms 91 has been, you know, a favorite verse of mine for a really long time. So Psalms 91 is kind of this um, mantra, you know, for us as Christian people, but also for the 144,000, not that they would read this all the time, but the idea behind Psalms 91. So as we're going to Revelation 14, let me read Psalms 91. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Now remember what they're living in. A lot of turmoil, a lot of tragedy, a lot of things going on. And so this idea of what the psalmist is right would fit what was going on with them at the time. It says, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, this is what will happen. No harm will overtake you, nor will disaster, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. Then they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves you, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show my salvation. Now, in that, this is what we know. Now, the 144,000, this is what we know about the 144,000. They're going to enter into the millennium unharmed. Right? They're not going to die during that time. They're going to enter into that millennium. But for us, we can take this same thought. right? So when he says, if you call upon my name, no harm is ever going to come to you. If you live on my, for my purposes, the angels will come to guard over you. Again, we sometimes think about that and say, well, then nothing bad is ever going to happen to us. That's not what he's saying. right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, but I'm going to be with you through all of those times, and I'm going to give you what you need to live victorious because I will rescue you, whether it's on this earth or whether ushering you into eternity, I will rescue you. Who can harm you? Right? That's what he's saying. Not the idea of whether we get sick or whether we die. That's not what he's talking about. Who can harm you when your eternity is sealed? Come on, like that's something you should actually be happy about, right? Like when your eternity is sealed, who's going to harm you? There's nothing this world can take from you that matters. They can take everything else. Nobody cares. When your eternity is sealed, he can't take it away, right? And we can celebrate these things. And as 144,000 are living at this time, living with this idea, whom shall I fear? In a world where it's crazy, you should fear a lot. Right, like if you were just looking at it from the outside and you weren't a Christian person and you were looking around, like the world was, is gonna be crazy during that time and fear should be a part of it, but the 144,000 aren't. So Revelation 14, one through five, here's what we're gonna do. Let's look at the 144,000. What are some of the attributes or things that they brought to the table that we then can learn from, okay? So remember, we're looking into the future. We're looking at what could happen into the future uh, and again, when we look at those things, we don't want to try to digest every single symbolism that's going on. The question is, what can you learn from it, right? What can we take away from it? So when we look at the 144,000, we're going to try to figure out how to live a victorious life, okay? So we're going to use them as a model, and then we're going to use those things to try to figure out how we can apply those things to our own lives. So this is Revelations uh, 14, starting in verse 1. It says, then I looked up, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, 
with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their forehead. So give you a little picture of what's going on. Now, remember this. So at this time, the Antichrist and the false prophet have rose up, right? So this is what's going on time. Antichrist and the false prophet have rose up. We've talked about this a couple weeks ago. Now the entering in of the mark of the beast has come to play. Right, and so remember the mark of the beast and what it's for. You know, the mark of the beast is gonna give you the ability to be able to purchase, to be able to be able to spend money, the ability to be able to get food, the ability to be able to go to the doctor. They're gonna say you have to take a mark. Now, you know what's scary? So we talked about the mark of the beast, you know, here in church. Um, but you know what's crazy is if you talk to young people, like I always, I, I can't remember not knowing, like don't ever take the mark of the beast. Even before I was a Christian, I can remember, don't take the mark of the beast. Now, I have no idea how that happened. If you talk to young people today and ask them, hey, would you take the mark? You know what they say? Yeah, why wouldn't I? If it meant I just have to put a chip in that makes things way easier to be able to go buy and purchase, if I have to do something that gives me entrance into the lot because I'm like, what about what it says in Scripture about the mark? And they're like, I don't know. What does it say? Nobody ever told me. I'm like, now think about this. I want you to think about this. Do you know why it's always important to preach the Bible and teach the truth? Because there are a generation of people that could end up in hell because they've never heard the truth. Right? I mean, if a young person comes and says, you know what, for sure I'd take the mark. What's the deal about taking the mark? It seals your eternity. Taking the mark of the beast seals your eternity. If you take the mark of the beast, it's not like, where's the eraser? You don't get to take it off. You don't get to change your allegiance once you try to figure it out. It's gonna be convincing. They're gonna be able to convince you and nobody's ever told you anything different. Well, the 144,000 at the time, because here's what's gonna be, People are gonna be taking the mark and people are going to be unsure, right? And those people that are unsure that are looking because this is the same way that it is in our world today. We have complete followers, people who just do what anybody tells them to do and people who are thinkers. May we be a world of thinkers. Don't just follow what everybody else tells you to do. Don't just get in line and line up and get all the crap, right? Like just don't go through that. Think for yourself for once. Right? So they're gonna be these thinkers that aren't just gonna follow in the line and do what everybody else tells them to do because their neighbor told them what to do. And so they're just listening. So these group of thinkers are gonna be trying to figure it out. The Antichrist and the false prophet are gonna be like, get on board. But who's gonna give them the truth? The 144,000. The same thing that's happening in our world today. Do you know we're in the same place today? We have followers that are just doing what everybody else tells them to do. And then we have people that are searching. When they're searching, are we giving them the answer? But think about this. You're on this earth for one reason and one reason only. Make disciples of all nations, right? Are we giving them the answer, right? I think we're living in a world where we forgot we're the answer. Not we, but Jesus. We have the answer, right? We're the ones who can give them those things. And so the 144,000 understand this. Our job is just to preach the gospel, but the power of change comes from God. So if you wanna know an attribute that we can learn, if you want victorious living, here's the thing that you need to realize. The only way that you're gonna live victorious on this earth is through the power of the Holy Spirit that comes from God, period. I mean, you can sit there and you'd be like, I'm struggling with that. And you, know, you can make this list and you can keep saying, well, I can't figure out how, we, how I can't get over this. Well, you know why you can't get over this? Because you're living a powerless life. Right? Like you're coming to these places where you're reading all the right books, right? You're on all the right plans. You know, you listen to all the podcasts and I'm just back to, but are you talking to Jesus? Are you calling upon the power of the Holy Spirit? The only thing given to us to change. Like if you wanna live victorious, you better, well first, you better understand this. The only way you'll be victorious is through Jesus Christ living inside of you through the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't made that decision today, don't wait. That's the way it starts, right? If you are a saved Christian today, then you should be marked by the power that lives inside of you and your life should be marked by the power that comes out of you, right? That 
For the 144,000, what can we learn about how to be victorious? Live a life through his power. Here's the next thing that he says, starting in verse two. He says, and I heard a sound from heaven like a roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of a harpist playing their harps and they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except for the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So one of the things we can learn about living a victorious life the 144,000 give us this picture, and we've seen some of this in the previous stuff that we've studied. They live in constant praise, right? So if you think about everything that's going around them, on around them and they're singing, I mean, who sings in the midst of the world going crazy, right? And all the things around them. So they, they live in this idea of regardless of the circumstances of life, this is what we can learn from them. Regardless of the circumstances of life, they're still praising God. You see, we live in a world today that when circumstances of life go the wrong way, we blame God, not praise God. Anybody, right? Like, why God, and why did he do, and why did he let, and why, and why, and why? And then all of a sudden, we live in this culture, we live in this, you know, this idea of just constant, like, nothing's ever right, and nothing ever goes my way, and nothing's ever, instead, he would say, if you want to live victorious, you're going to have to change the way you think. So if you want to live victorious, you're going to have to live in constant praise. Now, how do you do that? How do you live? So let's put it practical. So if we as Christian people want to live in constant praise, here's some suggestions for you. Here's the first one. Get a praise journal. Now, I know some of you guys are like, now I'm a man, I don't journal, right? Because I've heard this from guys. Like, girls journal, guys think, you know. We don't need to write it down. Okay, so if you don't want a little leather journal to write it down in, then put it in your phone. Because here, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a, a little principle. You might have ran into this already, but if it hasn't happened to you, I'm going to tell you it is going to happen to you. There is going to be a day in your life that you need to go back and read those praises because there's nothing around you that's going to seem good. And you're going to need to go back and you're going to need to say, but God is good and God is good and God is good and God is good because life sucks right now and I need to be reminded that God is good and God is good and God is good. And if you don't have a place to go back to, you know all your natural mind is gonna think about? Do you have any guesses? On what's not good, right? That's the natural place that your mind goes is to what is not good, not to where we have to go back intentionally to be able to do those things because otherwise you'll never get to that place. Here's the other thing. Tell somebody that you're thankful for them, praise them, without wanting something in return. You know how that works sometimes? You know how people be like, well, let me just start off the conversation with how thankful I am for you, but do you know what I need from you back? Right? Doesn't it work like that? Sometimes we're thankful for people when it's transactional. You know what I mean? Just let me say that I'm so thankful for you. Do you got that thing that I can borrow or that money that I need? Or, you know, it always starts, I'm saying, start with this idea that I'm thankful for you, right? And start with this idea because here's, you know what it starts changing? You know the whole idea of living in constant praise and this is, this is something that I'll give you a little marriage tip if you want one. You know, not that I did this right all the time or that Cherry did this right all the time or that I'm gonna do it right in the future, but here's a tip. The way to help somebody get to the place that God wants them to be is to not tell them what they are not but to tell them what they could be. You hear me? Anybody? Like, we think sometimes the way to change your husband, wives, is to go home and tell them how bad they are. And you just need to remind them. I mean, you didn't do, and you know the list I had, and the list isn't done, and I got home, and you didn't have this picked up, and as long as I just make him aware of all the things that he's not, someday he's gonna be so much better. Anybody? Does that work? None of the guys are going like, yeah, I told you. See, he's just confirming. Stop doing that to me. But wives, is it the same way? I mean, is it the same way? It doesn't help when your husband comes home and tells you what you're not good at or the things that you should be doing better or how you could be. Like, the idea is if you want somebody, then praise them, right, more than you condemn them. 
because it teaches you something. One, it teaches you to see what could be in people, right? You know this living in constant praise? It teaches you to see what God sees in this person, not what the world sees. And the way that we get to that place is, is that we go to people and say, you know what, I'm thankful for you. I, wanna, I want you to understand that I'm thankful for you. I want you to understand this is the difference that you've made in my life. I wanna praise you. And there are going to be some times where you have to have those conversations. I love you, but you know, but just make sure those aren't all your conversations because those can tend to be. Kids know how this is, right? Nobody wants a mom and dad that the only time they ever hear from their parents is what they're doing wrong all the time. Kids, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to sit there and listen to it all the time. Like they'll hear it as long as on the other side you can say, but you know how good you are and you know how awesome you are and you know these things and let me praise you on these certain things. Now, we can work on this, but we tend to be like the only conversation we have with our kids is you suck and you need to be better and you and you, right? Like any parents that ever been down that road, like every once in a while we get caught in that trap. Couple of us parents have been down that way, right? We just tend to do those things. And I'm saying to live in constant praise, we have to think, start with being thankful. Here's the other one. When you pray, start with thanksgiving before petition. Does that make sense? Start with what you're thankful for before you petition what you want. If you want to live in a constant state of praise, start with God, you know what I'm thankful for. And I love you because, and I'm so thankful that you are. And you know, even though things aren't going my way, I'm thankful that you are still my shelter and my refuge. All right, let me start there. And because I know the God that you are, and I love you so much, nothing wrong with, and Lord, I'm petitioning on somebody's behalf, or I'm petitioning on my own behalf. Lord, show up. All right, nothing wrong with that, but start with thanksgiving before we move into petition. Here's the next thing we see in verse four, something marked by the 144,000. If you want to live a victorious life that we can do is this in verse four when he says, these are, uh, these are those who did not defile themselves with women for they remain virgins. Now listen, they say this, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. Now here's what's interesting you know, some of the marks of Christianity that I think has went wrong, you know, is, is that we haven't taken enough time to really explore into this idea of what the church talks about when we talk about salvation. But we know that it's by faith alone, you know, and Christ alone and grace alone. Like, we know all those things, right? We understand that. that the church says that all the time. By the blood of Jesus Christ, you'll be made right standing in front of God. But we need to remember that when we look at scripture, when Jesus talks about people becoming his disciples, you know what he walks up and says to them? Do you wanna be a disciple of mine? What do you need to do? Drop everything and follow me, right? I think we live in a culture of Christianity that says, save me from hell and I'm gonna follow my kids. Save me from hell, I'm gonna follow my business. Save me from hell, I'm gonna follow my wife. Save me from hell, I'm gonna follow my husband. Save me from hell, I'm gonna follow the money. And Christianity has been like, well, I'm just glad you're not going to hell. Let me clear something up, you might be. Are you allowed to say that? <laughs> because I don't think it's like this separate thing. I don't think you get to decide for Jesus to just say, Jesus is my king and never follow him, right? Like I think we see throughout all of scripture where it says, if you want, if you're a believer, you're a follower. This shouldn't be foreign. Like we read this and they're like, wow, the 144,000 just followed the lamb wherever he went. I know, it should be natural. It's what you should do. It's the way that you should live. You should just follow the lamb wherever he goes. Why? He's your leader. He's your king. That's the way that it works. If you're not, there might be a problem. There might be a problem. Right? We have to understand this because what we can learn from the 144,000, here's what we know about us personally, okay? For just a second, here's what we know. Purpose drives direction, right? So if you understand the why you're here, okay? If you understand the why, everything from the why should then be dictated because of the why. Did that make sense? I feel like that got confusing. 
If you understand your why, every decision you make will be based upon your why. Is that right? Why are you here? This is what Jesus said. Why are you here? Why aren't you in heaven? To make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Reach them, teach them, send them out. Reach them, teach them, send them out. Why are you here? Reach, teach, send. That's why you're here. The why of why you have a job. You know why you have a job? Reach, teach, send. You know why you have a house? Reach, teach, send. You know why you have a car? Reach, teach, send. Anybody, is this tracking? Everything that comes out of the why, so is it wrong to have life goals to be able to grow your business? No, why? Grow your business with this idea. Reach, teach, send. Make more money with this idea. Reach, teach, send. You getting it, right? All of our goals in life and all the things we do, nothing wrong with being motivated and, and putting goals together as long as the goals match the purpose of why you're still here. You have a job, you have an education, you, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, as long as it comes back and matches the why, that's what we can learn from the 144,000. Right, the 144,000, they followed the lamb wherever he went. They still had to eat, they still had to fellowship, they were still in relationships, they were still living life. Does that make sense? But they were just following wherever he goes. So when I'm at work, I follow him wherever he goes. Like I gotta be at this place working, but if he tells me to do, I follow him wherever he goes. Whatever he tells me to do, I just do it. Right? We can learn that from him. We can be focused. We can understand purpose. Here's the next thing that we can learn from him. Verse five, there was no lie found in their mouth. Can you learn from the 144,000? There was no lie found in their mouth. Two things in this that I want us to look at. The first one is this. When they were preaching the gospel, they did not water down the gospel to bring people in. What's happening in our world today, people are watering down the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ because there ain't nobody in church. I'm like, you know why there ain't nobody in church? Because you're watering down the gospel. The power is in the truth, right? The power is in the truth of what scripture says. We need to preach the truth. The gospel's the gospel. The Bible's the Bible. It is what it is, right? But here's the other part of it. So they were speaking truth. And I'm gonna add this in, so this isn't like, you know, uh, talked about in the scripture itself. I'm gonna imply this because I think that this would be true. They also didn't have any trouble speaking truth into the lives of the people that they were with. You see, I think we live in a world today, one where you're not in, enough, you're not in deep enough relationships where somebody can come up and tell you, you're not making disciples and you need to get your crap together. Like, we're not even in deep enough relationships. That's one problem. You're not in a relationship where somebody could come up to you and say, you know what? You're still on this earth because Jesus called you to make disciples and you ain't doing squat. You're living selfishly. You're out there for yourself. You're not doing anything to make disciples. You're not going anywhere that you, you know, that God's called you to be. We don't have those. And if we do have them, we're afraid of losing a friendship or a relationship because we tell people the truth. Listen, let's just start with parents raising kids. The worst thing that you could ever do to your children is lie to them. You need to be honest with them. You need to be honest with where they are, with their walk with Jesus Christ. If they're not where they need to be, you as a parent ought to have a good enough relationship to say, you're off. You're not where you need to be. And I'm gonna say it to you and you need to hear this because better you hear it from me than when you hear it when it's too late. Amen to any parents raising kids that wanna see them in eternity with you someday. Then stop worrying about them being your friends and start understanding what relation, why God gave you the relationship to begin with, to raise an army because they're his children and not yours to begin with. You are a steward of God's children. Purpose, reason, why, you know, speak the truth. We gotta be a people that's okay to speak truth into the lives of the people that we love. So it starts with this. If you're not in any relationships with people that can hold you accountable for the reasons you're left on this earth, you need to change it. There is no excuse. 
There is no excuse to not have somebody that can speak truth into your life. If you don't have it, don't wait another day. Get it because you need that person in your life before it's too late. If you're struggling because you have those relationships, whether it's with your children or whether it's with the people that you love, you need to understand that eternity is way more important than friendship and that we have a job and those are the things that we need to do and we need to remember those things in our lives, right? So we need to speak truth into that. We can learn that from the 144,000, you know, in their life. The last thing that he says inside of the scripture, the end of verse five, they are blameless, right? So what can we learn from them? Scripture says they're blameless. Now, here's what we need to understand. Are they blameless because they hadn't sinned? No. They're still humans. They're still on this earth. So they still are sinners who fall short of the glory of God. Blameless in this context when it's talking about it. See, they are blameless when they stand in front of Jesus Christ in eternity someday because they have the blood of Jesus Christ that covers them. Righteousness, blameless. But on this earth when it's talking about blameless, here's what it's talking about. It's talking about this idea of how they have sought the forgiveness of Jesus Christ to cover their sins, but they've also went down this road. Maybe something you've heard in church before, maybe not, maybe this is a new word, but they started down this road of sanctification, right? This idea that as a Christian person, here's what you should understand. As we live our Christian life and as we be, are developed and work out our salvation with fear and trembling, you should be more like Christ today than you were a week or a month ago. If you're not, there's a problem. Anybody? I mean, this is what scripture tells you. See, I think we're just okay with people being like, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm no more like Jesus than I was 10 years ago. How does that work, right? How does it work when we would say, well, I'm just, I'm at the same place and maybe I went a little bit back. No, the work of the word of God, the work of sanctification is to say with confidence, I can tell you that I am more like Christ today than I was a week, two weeks, two months, two years ago. Now, some of the years have been that much more. Anybody had those years? None of you? Because some of the years are like, I'm this much better. Like I had a, this year did something to me. This year changed something in this. This year rocked something in me and I have grown a ton. And then there's these other years or other months where you're like, well, it ain't going so well, right? But that's what we need to realize. But at the end of the day, I'm still more like Jesus and we're becoming more like Jesus until the day that you stand in front of Jesus. That should be the idea. If we wanna be like the 144,000, then we need to live a life of holiness. We need to live a life. The blameless part that he was saying to him is like, you know, you're living on this earth right now and you're living to be more like me and you're doing your job while you're on this earth. Right? That's what he says for each one of us to be able to do. Now, the worship team's gonna come back up. I wanna give you some things to think about, right? some things to process. So clear back to like pulling it all together. What does it look like to live a victorious life? Right? So that's what we were looking at with 144,000. What does it look like for you as a Christian person to be able to, to understand living victoriously while you're still on this earth? Because Back to what we talked about. Are we living in the last days? Yeah. Are you one day closer to the end of your life today? Yeah. But here's the big question, right? <clears throat> Two things. So for the time that God has given you today, are you living a victorious life? Or are you living a lie? You know, because I think there's a part of us sometimes that we don't want to be honest. Like, I, I want you to get honest today. I want you to sit back and I want you to look at your life and I want you to ask yourself this question, right? Because it's pretty easy to understand what, what drove the lives of the 144,000. Purpose. Why were they on this earth? To reach people. Make disciples. So reach them, teach them, send them back out. Reach them, teach them, send them back out. Some of us are better at one part about that than others, but at the end of the day, the purpose of our lives, reaching, teaching, sending. Are you? Is that what somebody would say about you today if your life was over? 
And I, I want you to understand this, young people, look at me. Age is not a discrimination. It's not a discrimination. Just because you're 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 16, 18, there is no discrimination. You have the same purpose that I have on this earth. Right? You have the opportunity. You don't have an excuse. You don't get us back and say, well, someday when I get out of high school and someday when I get a job and someday when I get money and someday when I read more of the Bible and someday when I, and someday, anybody, right? There, someday might never come. You might not get a someday. For all of us, we might not get a someday. And so here's what I wanna challenge you with. This is gonna be your, whether it happens this week, but within this next couple weeks, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write your epitaph for everybody in this room. Your epitaph is, what will people, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? Somebody's gonna get up, they're gonna eulogize their, your life and they're gonna talk about you. What do you want them to say? After you write that, and you have to do this honestly, this is what I want them to say, then you have to honestly evaluate it and say, but is that what they're really gonna say? Because if they're not, you need to figure out why and you need to change it today. And you need to do something about it, right? Because again, we're not guaranteed our days. We're not guaranteed the time we have left. So be honest with yourself this week. Write your epitaph. Write what, write what you want somebody to say at your funeral, right? I've done this multiple times. In my journal, somebody's gonna read this someday and think I'm the weirdest guy ever. I have wrote my epitaph over and over again. You know why? Because when I got done writing it, I still saw a place where I'm not doing that. This is what I want somebody to say, but I'm not doing it. I'm like, I gotta change it. I gotta change these things in my life. This is what I want people, I, this is what I want, this is what I want my legacy to be. But the way I live my life right now, that's not my legacy. And I'm gonna change it. I keep writing it over and over again. That's why I always tell people, when you read my journal someday, I don't know what people are gonna think. But I think it's good for us to just think through those things for a couple different reasons. It reminds you, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. I don't care how old you are in this room, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Somebody might be giving your epitaph tomorrow or the next day or the next day. You're not guaranteed those things. It's a reminder of the fragility of life. If you haven't been reminded of that, life can change in an instant and in a moment. When you write your epitaph, you'll be reminded of those things. And you'll be reminded that if you aren't living on purpose, thank God for his grace and mercy because you get a chance to change. And you get a chance to make a difference. Will you stand so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, when we come to you, Lord, we're just so thankful that we can learn um, from the 144,000, from your word, what does it look like to live victorious? Lord, I pray today that you give us the power and the understanding that we are we are children. We are your children. May we live that way. May we understand our identity and may we change the way that we live. Lord, I pray that as we think through what we want people to say, if it's really not true, Lord, will you help us, give us the courage to change? Will you give us what we need to be able to change the way that we live our lives? And Lord, most of all, may the way that we live and the things that we do give you glory and you alone. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears have gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Womb, 
I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God.
tried so hard to see it took me so long to believe it that you choose someone like me to carry your victory perfection could never earn it you give what we don't deserve it Take the broken things and raise them to So I think for each one of us, we can walk away with that confidence, right? When we're seated with the one who has conquered it all.
right? That's how you live a victorious life, knowing who you are as a child of God and knowing that you're seated with the one who has never been defeated. And so for us as Christians, when we go out to live that victorious life, we can live it with that assurance, right? We can live with the assurance that we are children of God on the side of an undefeated Savior and that we will receive and be a part of his victory. So we're excited about that as a church, excited to be able to see what God's going to do through each one of you individually. So we're just so thankful that you're here with us at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online, and we'll see you guys next week.